great. So without further ado, Terry, I think I'm going to hand over to you. Right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, first of all, just explain that I've worked for Randall and Payne Accountants in Cheltenham. I've been dealing with medical tax for medical professionals of all sorts, whether consultants, GP practices, locums, for 27 years now. It is 25 years with, with Little and Company in Gloucester, and then, as I say, it's merged into Randall and Payne a couple of years ago. So hopefully, I do know what I'm talking about as regards tax, as much as anybody can. Um, also, I just need to apologise if I'm a bit gaspy today. I have got a cracked rib, a fractured rib, and I'm asthmatic, so breathing's slightly difficult at the moment, but so I hope you'll bear with me if I do need to take a breath. Um, first of all, I'll just a reminder, first of all, if anybody had a 2122 annual allowance charge and they want scheme pays, the, the deadline for that is 31st of July to submit the election to NHS pensions. So obviously with the changes in the budget, uh, the annual allowance charges should be only really the, the eye earners now. Now the annual allowance charge has gone up to annual allowance has gone up to sixty thousand. Plus also the reform of the NHS pensions, they've altered the date for when the to take out the inflation growth. So we shouldn't have the situation that we had for 21-2, that the ridiculous growth for people who not oil owners at all were getting annual allowance charges. Um, right. Um, obviously, as part of the budgets, um, the lifetime allowance was removed by the government. It was a bit of a shock to completely remove it. Um, a lot of people have said that, you know, they're going back into the pension scheme now as a result. Um, just be careful because obviously Labour, if they get in, they did immediately announce that they were going to reverse. So the lifetime allowance may come back in. Labour have backtracked a little bit and they have been saying that for medical professionals, they'll keep They'll keep the, you know, no lifetime allowance, but I can't see how they can just do it for medical professionals. So just bear it in mind, just don't assume that there's never going to be a lifetime allowance. So. But the main thing, anything to do with pensions, obviously speak to an IFA and one who knows about the medical, the NHS pension scheme. A normal IFA really just don't have the knowledge they've got to be a specialist in the NHS scheme. Um, then the main thing I want to talk about is obviously tax, and the main questions I get con is concerning limited companies, whether they should use limited companies, and then also the difference in treatment between the tax for self-employed and the tax for a limited company. Um, obviously, one of the reasons uh, a lot of medical professionals used a limited company was to avoid the pension charge, because if you use a limited company, the, the NHS work isn't pensionable in that case. So it was it was a way before we've got the flexibility for NHS pensions, putting it through a limited company means it wasn't pensionable. The other main reason for using limited companies in the past has been to save tax. Uh, last few years, the changes with the dividend tax, limited companies can save you tax, 
but really only in the situations where you don't draw out all the money each year, if you can leave the money in the company, or if you've got family members at a lower tax or downturn and possibly moving income around the family, that could help save tax. But if you're just a ordinary one-man band taking all the money out each year, then really a limited company doesn't save you any tax. Um, then I'll go some of the differences between if you operate as a limited company. One question we get is the IR35 implications. Um, I do quite often get asked by self-employed people, does IR35 apply? And it doesn't. IR35 applies to where you've got a limited company. If you're an individual, then you're into the old rule, which is are you employed or self-employed? The IR35 rules originally was brought in where somebody should have been employed, but then introduced a limited company to break that chain. And so the IR35 rules were to look through the company. If you are considering IR35, my, my experience with Locum Doctors, if you, if you are using a limited company and considering IR35, generally, if you use the tool on the HMRC website, it comes up that you uh, a no decision can be made. From my experience, usually, if you go into the detail, most contracts for Locums, you will get outside IR35. Um, one of the main reasons for me is the mutuality of obligations clause. That's because most contracts, as I understand it with locums, you have your contract for a period of time, and at the end of that contract, there's no mutuality of obligation. You don't need to take on a new contract, and similarly, the practice don't need to offer you further work. That would normally get you outside IR35, because if you're an employee, that wouldn't happen. You've also automatically, you know, have a new contract or a continuing contract. Um, if you are thinking of operating a limited company, you have to remember, obviously, that accounts need to be submitted to Companies House. So some of your record are on public record. You can do what's known as well, it was abbreviated accounts um so not all the detail of your profits go there but it does have you know your assets and you somebody with knowledge could work out what sort of money you're earning through the limited company um right um, I did ask a question before whether you could have a limited company and a sole trader at the same time, and that's perfectly acceptable. You can do work. You can have a mixture. You can have salaried work, self-employed, limited company. One thing to remember, though, is if you are a limited company, that it is a separate legal entity. So you need to ensure you keep the records separate for the limited company. You Ideally, well, really, you must have a separate bank account for the limited company work, and really, all, really, all transactions through the company, all income and expenses, really, ought to just go through that bank account. It gets really blurred if you 
start using the bank account for personal use as well. And you can use it, run into tax implications on overdrawn loan accounts and things like that in the company. Um, I would just say it's the limited company, it's, it's not sufficient just to have a bank account in the company name and put the money there. That's, it's got to act, your work has got to be a contract with the limited, limited company in the practice. It's not just, you can't just do, you know, your own normal work as you would have done, but put it in a company bank account. I did have one case where a doctor had been using the limited company for a number of years. He came to us. He'd had a, an inquiry opened by HMRC on something completely different. I think it was a, a rental property that he hadn't been putting through. It was a joint with his wife, and he hadn't been declaring it on his return, his half, of the, as he should have done. And because of that, HMRC looked into it, and they asked for details of the work through supposedly getting from the company, and it turned out it was it should have been individual work. It wasn't a company contract. Obviously, it was a bit obvious in his case because the one of the contracts, he was still getting pension contributions deducted, which, as I say, as a limited company, this shouldn't be pensionable. So that made it pretty obvious to HMRC. Um, but, um, another thing on using a limited company is you just need to bear in mind, if you're thinking of applying for mortgages, et cetera, and proof of income, uh, most lenders will look at your SA302, your tax personal tax position. Um, so if you're not drawing money out of the company, you may not, you may not have the income that you require. I've, I've seen people try to get more, oh, I've got 100,000 going through the company, but the lender is only look at what you're being drawn out. And even then... If, if you do draw the money out, you've got to take into account you can only draw dividends out after you've allowed for corporation tax in the company. So it wouldn't be your full income in the company that gets taken into account. So we have some people who've tried to get a mortgage and their income just won't support it because they're using a limited company. Had they been using self-employed, they probably would have had a higher income level and got the mortgage. So. Just something to bear in mind if you are having the mortgage. Another thing with limited companies, if people fall down quite often, is the if you're paying dividends, it has to be in proportion to the shareholdings. So we would always recommend if you have got equal share, if you've got shares, really to keep HMRC happy, the main if there's only one earner the one doctor earning, then he really ought to have 50% at least of the shares in the company. And so if you've just got one class of shares, then of the dividends, 50% ought to go, should go to that individual and then the family members, the rest. It can't, like some people think, so not, not have a dividend for the main earner and then just pay dividends to the individuals. There's two possible ways around that. <laughs> One is you can do dividend waivers, but really that's got to be seen as a one-off exercise because HMRC don't like them. Or the other one is if you've got different classes of shares set up and then you can vote a different dividend on different shares. If you 
thinking of that's a possibility, normally that's better if you can do it when you form the company and set the company up with the different classes of shares. Most companies, if they've set up um, originally, they've just got basic memorandum and articles of association and you need to get those changed before you issue new classes of shares. Because HMRC obviously don't like the arrangement, so they'll look at, look at anything to challenge it, and you need to get the paperwork right. Right. One other question I saw earlier on limited companies was regarding VAT. Um, I'm not a VAT expert. <laughs> Um, I have, it's a question on whether if you're using a limited company, you should be VAT registered. Because the argument, if you're an individual locum, you're providing medical services, that falls within the exemption. The argument is if you've got a limited company and you're over the VAT registration threshold of 85,000, there's an argument that the company is actually providing staff. It's not providing medical services. Um, been asked, as I said, been asked a few times. We've checked with that specialist in our firm throughout AISMA, and also one of the top VAT experts in the country, VAT letterers. Their opinion is really it should be challenged. If it's a one-man band, basically, or if it's two doctors, husband and wife, who both do medical work, then that ought to still fall within the medical exemption, even if it's through a limited company. So if HMRC did challenge it, it you ought to resist. That's their advice. But it's just something to bear in mind that it is something that can be challenged. And um, particularly if it could be, it depends on the contract. If you've got a contract where you're doing admin work as well as well as medical services, then that would strengthen HMRC's argument that you're providing services, not just medical medical work. And the other situation, if you've got like family members as directors who are drawing a salary, again, there's the argument there, the limited company that it's not wholly providing medical services through what they do. So it's just a risk, but as I say, the experts say you should always resist resist it. Um, another thing I've been asked about as regards either self-employed or limited companies, electric cars, which comes up quite often. Using a limited company is very tax efficient if you're buying a new electric car. The reason being is the company will get 100% allowances on the purchase of the car. So that will be set against the company's corporation tax. The thing to bear in mind is there is a benefiting kind charge on the individual, an income tax charge. But at the moment, that is only 2% of its market value. So each year, that's the charge and you then pay tax on that. So it's very efficient doing electric car through a limited company. The only thing to remember is extra admin again through the company is because there is that benefiting current charge, the company would need to put that through the payroll, the P11D. So if you've not got a payroll, if you haven't got a wife who's 
having a salary and you haven't got a payroll, you might need to set a payroll scheme up just to do the P11D. Uh, it's something that often gets overlooked. To take the electric car, get the benefit, but never set up a payroll scheme. So. Um, another thing is through the limited companies claiming for use of home. If you know, as a self-employed person, often we just claim the standard £312, the maximum fee the HMRC allow without keeping records. For a self-employed person can claim more than that if you can justify the expenditure. Normally it's a calculation based on the household expenses, the number of rooms and how long you use the rooms. So if that's perfectly justifiable to claim that if you can keep the records. Through a limited company, it's slightly different. There is the £312 use of home allowance, which has been tightened up again. It was HMRC relaxed it for a couple of years through COVID that you only needed to work one day at home to claim the full 312. That's now been tightened up and it is you do need to necessarily work at home. It's for time spent work at home now. Um, and if a limited company, if your director, if you wanted to claim more than the £312, it's not just a case of keeping the records and claiming the amount. Really, you need to put an agreement in place, a working at home agreement, so they can charge rent for that. So it's a bit, again, more admin for using the company, but it is possible to claim more than the 312, but there's more paperwork involved in doing that. Uh, right. Um, just as mentioned on climbing the electric car as a, an individual, self-employed basis, um, you certainly find the electric car you can do as an individual, but rather where the limited company gets the full relief for the full 100% of the purchase, the self-employed person, it's only the business, business proportion that you can claim. Um, and obviously, the amount you claim, the business proportion, is what you can justify. It's going to be different for – you can't put a fixed percentage on there because it's different for everybody, their personal circumstances, you know, whether you've got a, another personal car, how much private use, et cetera, you, you do. You do. And so one other thing to remember on that is if you claim the relief when you buy the car – if you sell the car, you do get a balancing allowance to bring in. So you, your proceeds are effectively taxed. So, and again, it might not be all the proceeds because, again, you apply the business use proportion. So the technique always suggests originally is the year you buy the car, you have a high business use proportion. And if you, when you sell the car, you have a low business use proportion. Uh, it's never. I've never actually seen HMRC's reaction to to that. It just seems to get by on the nod. As a lot of things do with self assessment, you, unless HMRC query it and they take a case, you never actually know if it's valid or not. I personally think you ought to, when you sell the car, you ought to proportion it over the period of use, what the previous, rather than just look in the last year. Um. Right. 
I think that's probably covered everything on limited companies that I can think of. <laughs> but I'm sure there'll be other questions about that that I haven't. Um, just on the going back to the pensions, obviously in October 22, we had the change in rates and tiered bands, which hopefully everybody's using the new forms for the locums A and B. Unfortunately, if, you, if you're going to have a type two form, if you need to do that, mostly salaried GPs, um, that I can imagine that's going to be a nightmare in 22-23, trying to do with a split year. Having said that, 21-22 low, uh, type two forms have been a nightmare. I don't know what PCSE have been doing. They did seem to be getting their act together, but... Nearly every form that I seem to see on type two forms have been rejected this year for not agreeing with PCSE's records, even though we've gone through it in great detail and the figures put were correct. So I don't know what PCSE have got. We've got a similar problem on all the type one forms for the GPs. I think they changed they changed the system part way through the year and it's not been recorded right at PCSE. So nearly all forms going in have got different figures right um, I don't really think of much more I don't know if you want to go to questions now so that'd be lovely yeah thank you everybody um, thanks Terry that was a really that was a really like concise way of putting all that info about the limited companies <laughs> I've had one um, question from somebody who'd like to stay anonymous and they've asked could you elaborate what's meant by being able to claim an additional 20% tax relief on pension contributions if you're a higher rate taxpayer? Is this just for salaried GPs? And how does this apply if you're salaried with a limited company? Um, well, the, the extra 20%, that's for personal pension contributions. Um, with a personal pension contribution, you get 20% basic tax relief at source then if you're a higher rate taxpayer you get the extra 20% through your tax return if it doesn't apply to NHS contributions because they're not they don't have tax at source on them so you just it depends what type of work it is on the pension country if it's out of hours work for example you get the contribute tax relief at source through the on the the GP solos, the locum contributions, or you, the employee amount, you claim the amount in the tax return, and you basically get the full forty percent through the tax return if you're a higher rate taxpayer. If you've got a limited company, um, it depends if you've. Doing personal pension contributions, depends if you've got a limited company and the company's making the contributions. Well, that's it. That's the reliefs in the company. There's nothing to claim in the tax return. If it's a personal plan, personal pension plan you've got, then it's the situation. You get 20% tax at source and then 20% you claim through the tax return. So I hope that, that clarifies it. I hope so too, but that person yeah. can um, get back in touch with me if they've got a follow-on question to that. We've also had a question from um, OJ, um, who would like to know, is it going to be cheaper to lease an electric car via a limited company, or do we need to buy it for it to be tax efficient? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, 
It is, and there's no straightforward answer. <laughs> um, and when you say lease, it depends whether it is, the lease is a, effectively a lease purchase or it is just a lease as a into a hire. If it's if it's a lease purchase, then it follows the same room as, as rules as if you're buying the car outright. If it's a hire of a car, it's that type of lease, then you don't get relief for the, the capital cost of the car, so you don't get the 100% relief. What you get instead, if you're hiring a car, you get relief for the, the actual lease payments you make as a deduction against tax each year. So probably the lease purchase, you get the relief up front. The lease hire car, you get it gradually throughout the ownership, throughout the, the hire of the car. Um, most, if, it, if it's an electric car, you get up relief for all the payments you make, the, the higher payments. If it's an ordinary car and it's a CO2 rate, and I think it's above 100 or maybe 80 now it's dropped to, then you get 85% of the payment allowed. From my experience when I've looked at this generally, over the life of the car, it probably doesn't make any difference really between whether it's purchase or hire. It just, as I say, with a purchase or a lease purchase, you get the relief more up front. Uh, hope that helps. <laughs> yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. It's a nice thorough answer. Um, yeah, we've had a question from Teresa. I, I hope that, um, Teresa, that I've understood your question properly. But um, Teresa would like to know, in terms of pensions, is the added year contribution back? I'm not sure that's ringing a bell for me. Um, um, I don't know. I didn't know it had gone. <laughs> yeah, Teresa, um, if you want to drop any follow-up information about the this added year contribution, that would be really helpful. What, what really happened, added years, a lot of people came out of added years because of the risk of the annual allowance charge to stop making them, stop making, and then there was further on to added years that then become additional contributions instead, didn't they? I could imagine now the annual allowance charge, the annual allowance has gone up to 60,000. There's probably more scope for people doing added years again. So whether that's what the question means, it's, I haven't actually seen that it, it actually went and it's been brought back, but for, yeah, it's really more, probably one for an IFA more than yes okay Teresa's added in the chat that she thinks that she's heard that it's not possible to do it any longer but um, as you said maybe that's one for an independent financial advisor yeah. accountant. I think that additional contributions I think they replaced added years so possibly added years itself did go but I thought additional contributions was still in so so thanks everybody for your questions in the chat. If you're happy to give them with your name on, then you can post them to everyone. And if you'd rather do them anonymously, you can message to me. Um, yeah, as Teresa said, it might have been related to annual allowance, just about that added years point. Yeah, as I um, say, I think there's more, certainly more scope. People people didn't do added, they came out of doing added years because they were almost certainly going to breach the annual allowance charge. but. I can see now the charge come back up to be more scope for people doing additional contributions or added years if they're available, but I don't know. Yeah. 
and lovely. If anybody else has got any um, sort of questions or points about pensions and annual allowance, you can stick them in the chat. Um, something that we, I think, is probably always useful to hear from accountants is their advice on expenses, particularly with the cost of living crisis this year. Are there any kind of expenses that you have to, you find that you need to tell new clients about that they might not be aware of? Um. Yeah, well, we have a checklist ourselves, which we send out, but I could run through that what we normally put on it. So, um, There's motor expenses, obviously, the obvious one. Um, one thing, I did, actually, as regards the electric car, I didn't mean to mention, quite often people claim the mileage allowance, the 45 pence per mile, because it's, it's, it's a lot easier, and usually it works out the most tax efficient. But I'll just point out that if you're claiming the mileage allowance, 45 pence per mile, that covers all the costs of the car. So if you claim the 45 pence per mile, you then couldn't, if you bought an electric car, you couldn't claim the capital allowances on buying the car. So you'd need, if you want to get the benefit of buying the electric car, you'd need to go back to the other method of doing motor expenses, which is keeping a record of all the car expenses and claiming the proportion that's business use. Um, so as I say, motor expenses, there's two ways to do it, 45 pence per mile or the proportion of the total expenses that relates to business. As regards business mileage, if you're a locum, normally any mileage on work from the home will count because we'll argue that the home is a base, base of work. So from the base to where you'd do the medical work is then a business journey. If you're a salaried GP, very rarely will home to work count as business mileage. So um, then there's after motor expenses, there's use of home, obviously, as we discussed, there's either the £312, um, the maximum HMRC allow without keeping records, or it's if you're self-employed a proportion of the total household costs that you can justify as being for for business again for locums we tend to claim the maximum 312 for use of home partly to help claim justify the motor expenses because it defeats the object a bit to claim the motor expenses if you're not claiming anything for using the home as if because if you're not using the home as business then that's not a business base is it so the motor journeys struggles to be justified um then the next lot of expenses things like subscriptions which are pretty off pretty obvious you can get those self-employed or as employed uh various professional subs um then for self-employed this Things like use of telephone, use of computer, use of internet. It's a case of claiming the maximum amount, putting the total amount of the bills and then claiming amount that you can justify as being business. As with most things where you're claiming a business proportion, it's just be sensible on what you claim. Don't, don't claim the ridiculous. HM, if HMRC looked at it, it's very if it's if it's a sensible amount, you've claiming a proportion. It's very hard for HMRC to argue against it. But if you're claiming 100% business use, 
of a telephone, it's a lot more easy for HMRC to argue, well, there is private use on that. So claim a sensible business use, not, not a ridiculous amount. Um, then the one we quite often get asked about is work clothes and things like that. Um, generally, they they can't be can't be claimed. It's got to be specific for work that you can't work per, privately. So just a suit, for example, won't won't be claimable. Um, it all that comes down to a duality of purpose arguments. If it can be used for both, and there's no idea where with telephones and things like that, there is a way to split what's business use and what's private use. For something like an item of clothing, it's impossible to split what's business, what's private. And the courts have held in that case, then it's all deemed to be private. So, but things like if you, I know some GPs do like small operations and things like that. So maybe gowns and things like that, if you have to claim them, then they can do. Uh, medical equipment, things like that, you can claim. Um, courses, generally, um, particularly update courses, they're fine. The main ones where HMRC challenges if they give you a qualification. Um, the main reason being because H Again, I just want to argue that you're benefiting personally by getting that qualification. It's not necessarily your business as a local, it's you as an individual. And again, it's the duality of purpose. So the only ones really that give qualifications the claim are the ones where you're an employee, actually, where you're training, where it's part of your contract that you have to, the RCGP exams, etc. Um. I think that's probably it on climbing expenses. That's lovely. Thank you. Obviously, self-employed is a lot more. If you're just a salaried, you're a lot more limited. It's basically professional subs, purely business journeys, which is mostly just visits, and possibly the use of armour, as I say, that's now been cut back again to the you have to actually work at home now. It's not just 312 for any day of the year. Super. Um, we've had another couple through while we were talking about expenses. Um, one quite good one, I think, is can we top up the NHS pension if working as a salaried and a locum GP? Um, well, what you've got is the annual allowance. You've got the annual allowance of 60000 now. That's the amount you can put in as pension contributions a year. We'll ignore you can you have unused relief if you haven't done it before. So you can put sixty thousand in. That's what but so you, for the NHS scheme it's obviously deemed contributions, it's not actual contributions, so it's how much your pension growth effectively. But whatever you've got left of that, you can then top up with personal pension contributions. Um just just need to bear in mind, if you've got a limited company and the company's making contributions for you, that contribution does count towards your annual allowance. So you can't, for example, put 60000 in as a company and then do personal contributions as well, So, which I've seen tried. But. <laughs> Lovely. So, yeah, thank you, Alex, for that question. And, yeah, Terry, thank you for that answer. And the only thing, obviously, mm -hmm. if you're a very high earner, 
the 60,000 could get tapered away. I think it's, if you're over 200,000 earning, then the, ta- the annual allowance can be tapered. It now tapered down to 10,000 rather than 4,000, which it was for the last couple of years. But So very high earners are restricted in pension contributions and, and are probably still caught, caught just by the NHS contribution. Terry, can I just ask a couple of questions as well, um, very briefly. So quickly about VAT, it's really interesting about um, that if you're a limited company, perhaps technically you should register for that. I'm assuming if you if you go above the 85,000. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, but um, but although but the general feeling amongst accountants is that should be challenged and actually it, you, you probably you might be safe not doing it because you could probably get away with it should you want to challenge it. Yes, um, that, that's that's the VAT expert's view. Yeah. yeah, but all that aside, um, um, is, is I mean, if if someone wanted to, is there? Are, I don't know if there are. Are there any arguments to say that actually there are some there are some good advantages to registering for VAT, or is that not the case? Um. Because you can, you can claim your VAT off stuff you, you buy. You can claim your expenses, but you're going to have to charge VAT, aren't you, if you register for that? Oh, you're so free. On your work, yeah, on oh, the work that you do. Of course. You, you, if you're back registered, you're, sat, you're saying it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're voluntarily regis, registering... Yeah. And, you you know, you're still arguing that the, VATs, the medical service is exempt from VAT, yeah. you register VAT, well, then... You, all your input work, your expenses are related to an exempt supply, so you couldn't reclaim them anyway. Of course, so no, pra- no practice is going to, going to, you're not going to, you'd be taken off their Christmas card list, wouldn't you, if you did that? Yeah, that's right. Um, no, that's fair enough. Then, and going about about also claiming for things you mentioned, suits and, and all of that. If you again, if you're running your own limited company, um, arguably, could you could you buy a suit with your cut on your business? Um, and also about uh, postgraduate qualifications. If your yeah. business, if you if you paid for the course through your business, would that would that work? Um, what technically that would, whether it would get caught again is another thing. Ah. You could it would you could pay for it certainly pay for it through the company. Mm-hmm. Then the company would almost uh, you get relief for the against corporation tax. For that for their expense it's then a question of whether the individual has a benefiting kind charge on that um, okay and certainly the the postgrad subscription again the individual's getting a benefit from that a personal benefit yeah, yeah. so i'd argue that there is a benefiting kind charge so that should then go on and p11d for the individual and they'd be taxed to income tax on that <laughs> okay okay yeah. the suit you probably could get away with it i would have thought but yes yeah, like, like, yeah no that, they're okay but that's i'm starting to see everybody makes their money from now with all this juggling around of things yeah. and, and just so and, and just lastly again I'm I'm always curious. I I, I use a, a firm of accountants, and I don't understand. I never know what the etiquette is about an accountant. Do I just once a year because they their fee is whatever their annual fee is, um, and I and I ping my my self assessment off to them every year, and they very kindly put it all together and submit it. Um, but but would it be okay if 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 we as clients sort of are we allowed to call you up? Do you like do you mind chatting to us? Would you do you charge us for when we do that? Um, How does it go? 
<laughs> generally it is for ourselves we we tend to know particularly at random time we didn't at little and company we tend to do a quote at the start of the year for what it's going to cost that quote is designed to cover the tax returns and as you said routine questions ringing up emails that sort of thing would be covered in that we'd only charge if it's more complicated work that needs a lot more research etc on top okay. and then then we'd normally give you a quote beforehand as to this is what we think it's going to cost to do this work but certainly routine questions yeah happy to answer them i don't know if i've got any more clients on here today but they would know that i'm happy for people to ring me up and answer their questions if they need be no, that's lovely. We'll certainly provide your contact details at the end if anybody wants to become one of your clients, which I'm sure I'm sure many will. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Okay, I'm just going to have a look at the chat to um, see if we can do one last one before we finish. Can we do a quick fire? Um, so we'll probably try and finish at quarter two. Um, we had one last question. Can we, and it's, it's good, we're going to do, it's quite a big one, so let's see if we can do right. it in a nutshell. Can you explain what the capital gains allowance is all about? And if we should be bothered about this as a limited company? Right. Uh, capital gains, I presume capital gains allowance, do we mean the annual exemption? Or do, well, I'll just cover capital gains briefly. Um, each individual has a capital gains annual exemption. So you can make capital gains and it's a full within the annual exemption, you don't pay capital gains tax. That's normally been gradually increasing. It used to be 10. It's up, been up to 12,300, I think, at the moment, uh, for last year. But that's been cut down. It's gone down to 6,000 for this year and down to 3,000 the year after. So a lot more capital gains are going to lead to capital gains tax charges. Um the other part with being a limited company, if you can justify that you're a trading company, when you wind the company up or if you sell the company, then you may qualify for entrepreneur's relief, which gives you 10% capital gains tax. If you don't, then you're into the normal capital gains tax rates, which are 10% if you're a basic rate taxpayer, 20% if you're a higher rate taxpayer. Or if you're selling a residential property, then it's 18 and 28%. Um, don't know where else to say it. So <laughs> they're the basic rules, as I say. There was rumoured capital gains tax rates were going to increase. Instead, what he did was cut the capital gains tax annual exemption. But whether that's going to be a wise idea or whether it's changed, because obviously a lot more people who are selling shares once the markets pick up appropriately and the selling shares of profits are going to be needed to do capital gains tax computations which probably means doing tax returns and since they're trying to cut people out of doing tax returns as much as possible it seems a bit contradictory to then bring more people back into back into tax but so we'll see how it goes you probably find out that They'll cut the cattle with the tax exemption and then they'll put the rates up as well. So, well, hopefully, we can get you back in when that all <laughs> possibly. Um, but obviously, the government needs the money, so there are what, cupping the guy's tax 
capital gains tax exemption is a way to raise money without a particular highlighting that they're raising taxes, but obviously this is all, that's what they've got to think. They've got to think of ways to raise taxes without it looking as such. Very good. That's a really helpful capital gains tax in a nutshell, I think, <laughs> for a two-minute answer. That was really fantastic. Yeah, but if there's anything else, obviously. That's lovely. Yeah, so what we can do after the after the event is that when we um, make the video live, we can make sure that Terry's, um, that your contact details are available in there, um, that we send people along to your, your profile on your website so that people can drop you an email if they'd like to become a client or if they've got any more um, things that they need to know. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that that probably is uh, all we've got time for today. So I just would like everybody to um, uh, pop any notes in the chat about what they found useful, any feedback on what really worked today and what was helpful. That would be great. And Terry, thank you so much for joining us. That's okay. Well, I hope it was useful. So. Very, very useful. And, and hope, hope, your, hope your, your chest gets better very soon as well. Thank you so yeah, much absolutely. for joining us. And, and that's been really, really helpful. Thank you. Oh, the best money talk someone has ever attended as a GP. Thank you very much for that feedback. Good <laughs> 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 star. Lovely. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for coming along and for joining in. It's been really good having you along. Right. Yeah. Right. Goodbye.